Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I've got Margot Robbie. The Aussie actress is getting tons of Oscar buzz for her work in Bombshell. Director Jay Roach's real-life drama about the demise of Fox News boss Roger Ailes after he was accused of sexual harassment and misconduct. Margot stopped by Variety to talk about her role as an ultra-conservative producer and aspiring newscaster at Fox News. She also teases what's to come in the Suicide Squad sequel and our Harley Quinn movies, Birds of Prey. I'll have that and a whole lot more from Margot Robbie after the break. Stick around. If you're like me and spend hours on Instagram scrolling past all the over-filtered, perfect highlight reels of other women and just wish you had someone to commiserate with about your nightly shame spirals, I have great news for you. I'm Jade Iovine, and I'm the host of Tell Me About It, the weekly podcast that's here to remind you that the women we constantly compare ourselves to, yes, even that one, also have lives that are far from perfect. Whether it's admitting all the times you've texted your ex, navigating the world of fertility treatments, or feeling like the only one in the room with depression, nothing quite compares to the relief you feel when another woman admits they've stood exactly where you are and lived to tell the tale. So cancel that Zoom happy hour. You know you didn't want to go anyway. And come hang with me as I talk to women I respect about all the insecurities, mistakes, and the heartbreaks that they don't normally post about on Instagram. Join me for Heart to Hearts with tech CMO Bozema St. John, environmentalist and influencer Steph Shep, actress Jamie Lynn Siegler, and many more. Listen to Tell Me About It with Jade Iovine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Now here's Margot Robbie. How are you? I'm good. Congratulations. Bombshell. What did you think when you first got this script? Well, obviously, I had the great privilege of reading a script by Charles Randolph before. Mm -hmm. So I knew it was going to be a good read. (laughs) Um, I was pretty rattled by the time I got to the end of the script, to be honest. And I knew long before I finished the script that I wanted to do it and be a part of it um, just because I thought it was important Mm -hmm. to tell and be a part of and support in any way that I can. Um, I hadn't for once thought of the character first. I I thought of kind of the the content and the messaging Mm. um, before, before kind of aligning myself with the character. That came next was starting to understand Kayla. And obviously Charlize has Megan to look at, Nicole mm-hmm. has Gretchen. Your character is a compilation mm-hmm. of a bunch of different... How do you find that within this world where everything else is real? Does that make sense? Yeah. it's. I think it, I think it was a good choice to, to do it that way. And I've played real-life characters before and I've played a lot of fictional characters before. And there's, I couldn't say I enjoy one more than the other or find mm-hmm. one more difficult or more easy than the other. But this it's is just, sort of a blend. It's just a different sort of experience. Yeah, and this is a bit of a blend. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I felt when you – I think usually when you play a real-life character, there's a huge sense of responsibility that you feel to kind of do them justice and their story justice. And um, and then you also maybe at sometimes feel like you can't – create a character or do something. And right. that can be the, the the line you kind of walk when you mm. play a real life character. So to play a fictional character, 
which I do find extremely liberating, but I still, in this case, felt a big sense of responsibility knowing that she represented a lot of stories. Um, so it was a little daunting for sure, mm -hmm. but to be honest, every character I've ever played I've found daunting, otherwise <laughs> I probably wouldn't ever dive in and do it. Um, yeah, and it took me a minute to kind of understand her core values and where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't so much understanding the experience she went through that took me a minute. Mm -hmm. That that you know there was a huge amount of research already done by the filmmakers there, and honestly, just being a woman and talking to other women throughout right. my whole <laughs> life that 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 wasn't such a foreign sort of idea. Uh, but but understanding her upbringing and her point of view on politics and the world that really took me a minute. So how did you, did you come to understand it, appreciate it? Yeah, I did. I I, uh, I actually started a uh, I, 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 I you can find a lot online, obviously a lot of research I find <laughs> online. But Twitter was extremely helpful. Mm. I would follow these young conservative girls uh, who were very vocal with their beliefs and yep. their political points of view. And that was fascinating mm -hmm. because, you know, they're my age. You know, we have in in some ways we'd have a lot of in common and then in other ways I was like, we are living on totally different planets. And right. so that was that was interesting just to get a handle on the the idea of, you know, her belief system and her and her kind of political point of view. That was that was a great tool, Twitter. And um What did you think after when you because I've done that where for some reason I'll just go down a very conservative rabbit hole yeah. on Twitter. And like you said, like I'm I'm like, am I crazy? Like I don't and they probably would look at, you know, liberal Twitter and be like, they're living on another planet. But it's totally. literally like you say, like it's literally two completely different realities. Totally, totally. But I think what became apparent to me was like you said, some liberal voices seemed absolutely outlandish to me as well and and what i what became apparent to me is that we've all been pushed so far to one end of the spectrum or the other and it was actually really helpful uh to listen to a lot of talks and panels by republicans mm -hmm. who um who every like everything they were saying made total sense to me, and that that that, that was my way in. I was like, no, 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 I can latch onto this conversation right. because it's not it's not geared at being a clickable, salacious headline. They're right. not saying something that they can put on that their Twitter so that outrageous. can be yeah, yeah. And I feel like really the culture has kind of perpetuated these extreme ideas because if it can't be re if it's not you know so so if it's not so extreme, it's not going to be retweeted. And mm -hmm. um, so I feel like people are kind of you know, pushing everything to, to one end or the other. And I think there was a time where it wasn't so polarizing. Mm -hmm. um, that, that sort of thing was interesting, but also a great, a great source of um, research was Charles himself, the writer, mm -hmm. grew up in a very conservative family. You know, he, a lot of the stuff that Kayla says, oh, we, you know, Fox News, Fox is how we do church. And my family had the, the Fox logo burnt into the TV. That's Charles's childhood. He, he, wow. He's like, we went through three TVs because it had the Fox logo burnt into the corner <laughs> of it. Um, so there was a lot I could kind of understand just from, and Jay too, funnily enough. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, there was, there was a lot in it that went into understanding Kayla, but, you know, she was ambitious. She was trusting. She was hopeful. 
um, there's a lot of things I can relate to in that regard. Do you think the motiva motivation, I don't know if that's the right word, but what happened between Kayla and Roger Ailes in the movie, is that part of her ambition? Is that part of her trust? I think what it's is both. It? I think she had this innate trust in the institution of Fox News. It's something she grew up with. Um, and I think, yeah, she had complete trust for that system and, and, and that workplace, and that put her in harm's way, ultimately, mm -hmm. um, sadly, in this case. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah, no, I think she just... I think ambition obviously plays into it too. And I did like that. I think when I initially read Kayla, she was a little more um, naive and it was mm -hmm. something I had a conversation with um, Charles and Jay with straight off the bat. I was like, first of all, I'm not that good at playing naive. Like, I can't. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I also think she should be a little savvy. I think she should kind of know how to get ahead and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and want to further her career. Mm -hmm. um, because if she just fell into this situation, I think it would be too easy to mm -hmm. say, oh, well, this is terrible what's happened and she had no part in it. But I think what makes it more more of a conflict for her is that she wanted to meet Roger Ailes. She right. wanted to go to his office and have a conversation about her career. She absolutely didn't want what happened to right. happen and had no idea that that was going to happen. But she was trying to get in that room for right. sure. And I think that made the situation even more difficult for her to understand afterwards. And I think she would have, it would have been confusing. I think she would have blamed herself for part of that. And that takes the recovery, you know, her recovery a lot longer to kind of mm. deal with. That's, there is a scene in the movie that's, you know, quite pivotal in the storytelling between you and Roger, well, Kayla and Roger Ailes. It just, in this weird way, you're at the on the edge of your seat with it. The mm. way the camera just holds at certain points, and there's just there's no breath. Yeah, and you're just holding your breath, and you just you want to scream at the screen, like don't, because we also it's Monday morning quarterback, and we know what's <laughs> happening. Yeah, yeah. But then John Lithgow playing Roger Ailes. Yeah, I mean his transformation. It's unbelievable. I mean he was. I mean I keep saying. What I think he played so well is that he was so pathetic. Mm -hmm. He was mm -hmm. so pathetic. Mm -hmm. um, how hard is it to film a scene like that? And opposite John Lithgow looking like Roger Ailes. It was that scene I loved. As soon as I read it in the script, I thought I, I was so happy that they made that choice to make the audience sit in the room with Kayla for right. as long as they do. I thought that was incredibly important and kind of the point of even having Kayla in this story mm -hmm. is that no you're going to experience this with her and we're not going to let you off the hook and we're not going to let you get distracted by the scene that comes after this you're going to stay in the scene for mm -hmm. minutes with them in that room and you're right you kind of don't get take a breath um at the same time the reality of shooting that scene it's a strange scene to shoot for sure but I couldn't hope for better people to do it with right. John is the loveliest human being right, in the world like he really really is um and we were both equally disturbed by the scene and and by what you know is is happening in the scene and jay was right there he was in the room with us and very few other crew members were and uh no i think the the, the most potent thing about that scene is that it goes on for as long as it does right. um but yeah, he totally transforms. John just you, you 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 can't believe it. Especially there was another scene too where um he yells at Nicole's character, Gretchen Carlson. Um 
and that was our first day of shooting. And Jeez. I've up until that point seen lovely John, you know, <laughs> was sweet, have a chat, have a cupcake and a cup of tea or whatever. And and then he just comes into it and was so savage and just I I yeah, I was really taken aback by how how much he kind of completely disappeared and, and became this terrifying human. Right now we're going to take a short break, but make sure to stick around because Margot teases the Suicide Squad sequel and more of her work as Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey. Hey y'all, what's up? It's Jess Hilarious, and I'm just making sure y'all know that I got a podcast called Carefully Reckless on the Black Effect Network. I'm going to be telling y'all all my business and telling y'all other people's business too. It ain't no limits to the things I talk about. Y'all know that if y'all know me. From baby mama drama to healthy relationships, from child support to stimulus checks, Look, when you take a step back and you realize that we all go through crazy stuff and we got stories to tell, those situations do not define you, but they do make for a real good conversation. <laughs> In a world where clickbait and cancel culture can tell your story before you do, I'm creating an outlet to remind people that we still human crazy and we can all laugh about it. Don't stress over it. Bring your problems to me. I promise I won't judge you, but I might crack a joke or two. Don't be scared. It'll be respectful and messy at the same time. Just make sure you tune in. Listen to Carefully Reckless every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Margot Robbie. Charlize. Oh, she's I unbelievable. Mean, Megan Kelly has such a distinctive voice until you hear Charlize Absolutely. doing that voice. Yeah. I know. What was it like seeing her and hearing her for the first time as Megan Kelly? Seeing her, I didn't shock me nearly as much as the voice. The voice changed everything. Right. It, it's like she almost sat lower in her body with that voice. Yeah. It, it 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 altered everything, um, and she just, yeah, I she she just you just lose her like John. You just lose her completely. Because um, there were the shots, there were the shots at the beginning of the movie. They show the real Roger Ailes, mm. and then there's a cut to Megan Kelly. And literally, I'm just like, is that the real Megan Kelly? Yeah. Is that Charlize? Yes. No, it's insane. <laughs> they did obviously. Kazu did incredible prosthetic work, but she she changed she voice everything, physicality, just her, how she would deliver every line. Just was so. Characterized, I, I really, I really, I really saw her disappear, and she did, and she was producing at the same time. Right. You know, it's not like she didn't have one sole focus. <laughs> she was, you know, being pulled in a million different directions and just handled it like a boss. She's, she's so impressive. So, if you could sit down with Megan Kelly, what would you ask her? You know, I've watched quite a few interviews. I, I, I would have, what I would have asked Megan Kelly is why, why did you say that thing about Santa? Why did you just, you know, like, there'd, there'd be a lot of questions right. on what was the thought process behind that one? Um, but then I did see this interview where, where she was like, look, I'm on air however many 40 hours live a week. I'm going to say stuff that I later regret right. Right, <laughs> and right. I thought yeah you know what every time I do something live I'm absolutely terrified and you mm -hmm. you kind of sometimes speak before you think this isn't me justifying anything <laughs> she said by the way but I did it was an interesting thing to go oh yeah you know what you really can find a way to um understand everyone's scenario which obviously Charlize has done a lot of I think that was one of her biggest challenges was just understanding 
the things her character, well, that, the real life person thing. that I her mean, character did and said, even while we were shooting, Megan Kelly yes. did, did and said a few things that I'm sure made Charlize, you know, made it even harder for her to go into work that day. Because you are delivering this, the movie does deliver a message. It's telling, you know, there's lessons to be had, but it's also from the perspective of women who worked at Fox News. Yeah. And people we know have a very big issue with Fox News and whatever they were, for lack of a better term, spewing on Fox News. So yeah. how does the audience sort of find that empathy, but at the same time, it's like, but you're Fox News. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, there might be a lot of, a portion, you know, a big portion no, of the audience <laughs> who do, do watch Fox News and, and appreciate everything that's being said, but... I think it really goes beyond. I, I I feel like, as with most great stories, the that acts as the framework and the backdrop. And really, right. you're you're watching humans do what humans do, and um, that's what fascinates me. But I think that's what truly fascinates audiences is mm. that human behavioral study that you get to do when you watch people react to a situation and you wonder what the hell they were thinking right. or not react or whatever it is. It's it's uh, it ultimately poses much bigger questions, I think, than if we were focusing sol solely on politics. Right. Yeah. It goes beyond politics. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So Suicide Squad 2. Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> and on a lighter note. On a lighter note. <laughs> Joel Kinnaman was sitting in the seat that you're sitting in right now. Was he? Yes. Uh, two weeks ago. Um, and he was telling me how much fun it is. He yeah, said it's it a is. really funny script. Yeah, it and is. And that's a big difference from Suicide Squad 1. What could you tell me? It's, he's right. It's a really, I mean, I think, I think people, yeah, wouldn't be surprised when hearing that James Gunn wrote it and is directing it. Mm -hmm. You're going to be laughing a lot, but um, no, it's, it's, it's going to be good mm -hmm. is, is all I can say for now. It's going to be very, very good, I think. And you all went to go see the Joker together. We did. What yes. do you think? I was absolutely blown away by Joaquin, obviously. I, I already considered him to be one of the greatest actors of our generation, mm -hmm. so that didn't, um, you know, I was kind of prepared to see right. some acting <laughs> muscles getting flexed there and be, like, impressed by it. I knew that was coming. I also thought Todd made a beautiful film. Um, yeah, it was confronting. Yeah. For sure. Would you want to see his Joker in The Suicide Squad? I think they exist in different universes, yeah. you know. I think I think the Joker film that's just come out exists in a very different universe than the Suicide Squad film or Birds of Prey or right. even the first Suicide Squad film or even Nolan's, you know, mm -hmm. version of Gotham. And I think that's kind of a cool thing that DC does. Everyone has their interpretation of Gotham and... Um, at first, maybe I thought it was like a little incongruous to jump in and out of different versions, right. but now I really appreciate it because I like seeing every filmmaker's different Take interpretation right. of the characters and of the world. Right. Um, so, no, I don't think Joaquin's Joker <laughs> would make sense in that universe uh, so, of James Gunn's version of the world. Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad, how is Harley different? She's from the first Suicide Squad. Or just how did, did you approach... Harley in a different way for Birds of Prey? No, she's still the same character, but she's evolved. Mm -hmm. um, she obviously has a lot more screen time in Birds of Prey than she did in the first Suicide yeah. Squad film, <laughs> so you're going to spend more time with her. But also the story in Birds of Prey is told from her point of view, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you have an insight into Harley's world in a way that you didn't in the first Suicide Squad right. film, nor that you'll have in the next Suicide Squad film. Uh, so it's a little bonkers. I mean, it reflects her personality. It's right. heightened. It's poppy. It's fun. It's violent. It's crazy. It's absurd. It's kooky. It's hilarious. It's a little heartbreaking. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I think, all the elements that make Harley, who she is, you you feel in different ways of the filmmaking approach in Birds of Prey. Mm. How but long do you fun. want to play Harley for? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> as long as as long as the fans will allow me to. Really, it's uh, in my mind. It's kind of up to them. It's if I I know I have so much more to give as Harley. She's such a she's such a good character, and there's so much of her that we still haven't even explored. Even mm-hmm. after doing Birds of Prey, there's still so much right. to be explored there. Um, so I'd love to keep exploring that. Um, but ultimately, the day the fans say, no, we're done with you, Margot, <laughs> I'll happily step aside. And then Barbie. What's going on? When's it going to happen? It's very early start? stages yeah. of development right now, so not so much to report on that one, but very excited at How the do prospect. How you bring a doll to life? You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Don't know. Honestly, I don't know yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Did you play with Barbies when you were a kid? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone kind of has that. They have some sort of, that's what excited me about the project. Everyone has a Barbie memory. Even if someone's childhood memory was stealing their sister's Barbie and chopping all her hair off and like, you know, burying you, her in the backyard. Like, that what you That wasn't what I did, but <laughs> I, I know there's some brothers out there who definitely, yeah. Um, but I feel like she was present for everyone's childhood in one way or another, which makes it such an interesting and fun sort of thing to, to get Greta to play with. Noah. Yeah, clever people. Pretty Gosh, cool. they're busy right now. Little women in marriage stories. <laughs> right, I was like, can we call it Little Barbie? Bar- <laughs> little Barbie story? <laughs> <laughs> I'll pitch that to you. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of The Big Ticket, but come back tomorrow because I've got another episode. I sat down with Sterling K. Brown to talk Waves, This Is Us, Frozen 2, and a whole lot more. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. See you tomorrow.